0: again, everyone, and welcome to this, the 83rd episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Well, it's been an eventful two weeks since our last episode. We had a few weather issues, especially with snow and ice in West Texas, but harvest is back in full swing and, and moving pretty quickly, according to USDA. I think the latest number we saw uh, late yesterday was 61% of the crops already been harvested. And as uh, we did get the expected news about the new dicamba registrations and regulations that that Frank and I talked about uh, in our last episode, and we did have a national election that, like all elections, promises to bring some changes and new roles to Washington, D.C. I'm Jim Steadman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Frank, have you had a chance to kind of catch your breath yet after these last two weeks?
1: Not really. <laughs> it's, it's been a lot to keep <laughs> up with. And in some cases, I purposefully tuned out for a while, too. So uh,
0: Protect your mental health.
1: Yeah, give my brain and mental health a chance to uh, to uh, chill out, so to speak. So, a lot's been going on. Uh, we've had weather down here in Florida from the remnants of ETA or ETA. Um, so, but nothing bad here down South Florida, they did have a, you know, eight, 10 inches of rain in places. So some of the vegetable growers down there feeling, feeling it, but, uh, but by and large, not too much out of this one. So hopefully we're about to wrap this hurricane season up. It
0: it has certainly been one to remember. And, and I I guess I kind of saw you know, a little bit of relief looking at the track of, of this latest storm that it wasn't going to go anywhere near a cotton patch. Right. Uh, So, you know, let's keep the pickers rolling and, and keep things going. But anyways, it has been an eventful two weeks for the cotton industry, and it's a perfect time to sift through all these happenings with someone who knows the Washington scene all too well. Reese Langley, who's vice president of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council, is going to join us here in our virtual studio in just a few minutes to talk with us about how the outcome of the November elections is going to impact agriculture across the cotton belt. It's gonna be a good discussion. We hope you'll stay tuned for it. But
1: now we're pleased to welcome Phytogen is back as our Cotton Companion sponsor. Let's take a moment as they bring us this short message.
2: Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long.
1: Thanks, as always, to the folks at Phytogen
2: for supporting
1: the Cotton Companion, and, and now let's take a few minutes to turn things over to our colleague, Robin Skipberg for a custom content interview with Dr. Chris Main, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist.
3: Hello, I'm Robin Sitberg, custom content editor with Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. I'm here today with Dr. Chris Main, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist in Tennessee and Northern Alabama. Welcome back to the program, Chris.
4: Hi, Robin. It's great to be back with you.
3: Well, I'm excited to have you on this episode because I know you're going to talk about a new phytogen breeding trait that's going to be a first for the cotton industry. So, what can you tell us about that?
4: Yes, Robin. I'm very excited to be here because uh, in 2020, our cotton development specialist team at Phytogen was able to trial two experimental varieties. That we've been um, working on in our breeding program for almost 20 years to bring uh, reniform nematode resistance into commercial cotton varieties.
3: Well I know that's going to be welcome news for growers who are dealing with reniform nematodes cuz they cost growers several hundred million dollars a season and lower yields by more than 50% if you've got a high population. So, you know, what have you found in your trials? How has it helped growers?
4: Well, Robin, I've had the privilege of working with uh, this trait for about the last 4 years uh, specifically in North Alabama where where reniform nematode is a is a perennial problem. And we have very high populations um, in the trial site that I work at. And when I say high, I mean we're we're talking about 20,000 nematodes per pint of soil or more. And so, you know, it's it's very detrimental and very economically impactful to the to the grower where we work. And what's really exciting about this trait is, you know, throughout the entire season, we're able to see changes within the plant compared to the susceptible varieties. Um, Early on, the plant is more vigorous. Um, It'll grow taller earlier in the season. Um, In the middle part of the year, the plant will be much healthier, a darker green, it'll have better fruit retention. And by the time you get to the end of the year, we see in the neighborhood of a a 70 to 75% reduction in the number of reniform nematode um, in the soil. And on top of that, for the grower, he has a great advantage because with this resistance trait, we're seeing about a 30 to 35 percent increase in yield um, in these areas with these high reniform populations.
3: That is excellent news, especially for growers who are dealing with this problem. Is there anything else you can tell us? So Robin,
4: these two new experimental varieties add to an already uh, robust portfolio, um, from phytogen um, our breeding traits have you know other properties like bacterial blight resistance in in every variety we bring forward um, the reniform program uh, that we have complements the, the root knot resistance that we already have. And probably the most exciting thing that we're seeing in trial results this year, as we've done them on a much larger scale, is that these two experimental varieties are yielding there with the competitive varieties, even in scenarios where we don't have reniform nematode present. So we're, we're very excited about the, the range of uh, farmers that, that can use these two new varieties.
3: Well, that's excellent news, Chris. And um, we're running out of time, so I've got to wrap it up. But thanks again for being on the program. And uh, listeners can go to phytogen.com for more information. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you, Robin.
0: Thanks, Robin. And thank you, Chris, for that interview segment. And before we bring Reese Langley into the studio, Frank, let's take a quick look. What else is happening in the cotton world? Well, not
1: three hours after we recorded our last podcast, uh, that day there was a a big announcement in Georgia regarding something that we didn't know at the time, but we speculated it was to do with the EPA and dicamba, and that turned out to be uh, the case. They have approved new five-year registrations for dicamba products for over-the-top use and dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. The new registrations were granted to Extendimax and Ingenia herbicides, while the registration for Tabium herbicide was extended for the same time period. All registrations will expire in 2025. A new registration also is expected for Fexapam herbicide. This decision was based on input from state regulator grower groups, academic researchers, pesticide manufacturers, and others, including new information and data based on the best available science. EPA believes these new registrations will address concerns expressed in the June US Ninth Court of Appeals ruling that vacated the previous dicamba labels. As anticipated, the new registrations come with important control measures, including a national cutoff date of June 30th for soybeans and July 30th for cotton for over-the-top applications of dicamba. Required use of approved buffering agent with all dicamba products prior to all applications to help control volatility. That buffering agent must be included in documentation for all uh, applications. A new downwind buffer of 240 feet that expands now to 310 feet in areas where listed uh, endangered species are located, and a simplified label and use directions to help growers more easily determine when and how to properly apply dicamba. The the 2020 registration labels also provide new flexibilities for growers and states. Growers may reduce the downwind spray Buffer by using certain approved hooded sprayers as an alternative control method, and I think that's new to the labels. And EPA, yeah, and EPA will work with states on individual basis if a state wishes to expand the federal cut-off date and uses of dicamba to help meet special local needs. Reaction was generally positive, although the National Soybean Association and Plains Cotton Growers have recently filed a lawsuit uh, against EPA concerning the size of the buffer zone and the cutoff dates for cotton, which would rescue, restrict use of the products in the high plains and in later planted fields. As expected, the plaintiffs, which spearheaded the legal action to vacate the prior dicamba labels, vowed to keep the fight going as well. So a lot to digest sounds like some more things to be sorted out
0: yet. Yeah, it it, it is a lot to digest. And I think uh, as we speculated, you know, last time, we weren't surprised that, that, that the labels or this, this information was going to be announced, uh, although it wouldn't have surprised me either if it had waited till, you know, after the elections or, or farther into December. The good news is it's out there. The labels are there, plus growers uh, to go ahead and get their, their herbicide plans in place uh, and their seed decisions in terms of, of the varieties and the technologies they're using, all decided in plenty of time for the 2021 season. You did mention the the hooded sprayers. That was a uh, that was an an option that was added to some of the state labels uh, last year, particularly in Tennessee, and I think some of the other southern states, as an option for controlling uh, controlling the the pigweed uh, after the uh, after the state approved cutoff dates on it, so it was it was really kind of surprising, but also very good to see it fall into the federal label as well. But anyway, a lot of information uh, when you when you look at uh, at uh, I guess at news impacting cotton for the last two weeks, that's certainly been the one that's dominated the uh, the scene, and uh, we're glad to kind of have it behind us and and looking forward to moving ahead.
1: Yep, get ready ready for that new season. will be here before we know it. Oh yeah. Absolutely, and we'll be talking about 2024 probably, probably this afternoon, afternoon or tomorrow. Who knows? I'm sure that I'm sure that speculation will begin in
0: earnest. Yeah, there'll be plenty of speculation on that. For you, the old Georgia boy, you know, from from a, a, a political perspective, you still have two senators to elect for for this upcoming Congress. So yeah, big time election there. Well, thanks, Frank. And right now, let's pivot away from EPA and, and bring in a good friend who can get us up to speed on some of the changes we might expect to see in Washington, and particularly related to agriculture as a, as a result of the election. Reese Langley is vice president of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council, and he's one of the cotton industry's go-to guys for government relations. Reese, it's been a while since we've had a chance to visit. Welcome to the Cotton Companions virtual studio. It's a pleasure to have you
2: here. Jim, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today.
0: Um, I'm just going to start with the big question. What's the mood like in Washington one week after the election? I'm kind of guessing most of the government's operating in, in business as normal mode, but is there a different feel in the air and around, uh, around the city right now?
2: Well, I think certainly still a lot of reflection on what has transpired with the election last week and looking ahead to What can and can't get done in this lame duck session of Congress that we're moving into for the next few weeks and then trying to prepare and and plan for the new Congress coming in next year and um, the changes that we anticipate
0: you mentioned the lame duck session. What's what's on Congress's agenda between now and the end of the year? What sort of things do they need to, get,
2: to wrap up? Well, at least one must-do item would be passing and hopefully an omnibus appropriations measure to fund all of the government for the remainder of this fiscal year, which runs through next September. As you know, currently, the government is operating on a short-term spending bill that expires December the 11th. And so today, the Senate Appropriations Leadership released their draft bills for the 12 spending measures, including agricultural appropriations, and so that will serve as the starting point for the Senate and House to negotiate, hopefully, on this 12 bill omnibus package that they can get passed in December.
0: Is the uh, is another stimulus package still on the uh, on the agenda, or is is that? gonna get pushed off to to the
2: side. For the time being, it looks like attempting to get another stimulus and relief measure done is something that leadership, both in the House and Senate, say they want to try to accomplish in the next few weeks, but still we see some pretty significant divide between the overall spending level or cost of a package and also some of the specifics on what would be included, what parts of the economy to try to address And so it's unclear at this time if they will be able to bridge those differences in time to get another stimulus bill done. We certainly hope so. We believe from an agriculture perspective and cotton specifically, there's still ongoing needs in the countryside. We think there needs to be some additional funding provided to USDA so they can continue to provide the help and relief that producers need. But also, as you know, we're also seeking some relief for other segments of the U.S. cotton industry, specifically our textile manufacturers and others in the cotton supply chain.
0: Well, here we sit uh, one week after the election, and as, as all the results came in, uh, it looks like there's going to be quite a bit of change uh, in the House and the Senate, uh, and certainly on both the House and Senate ag committees. Uh, were there any big surprises from the election? I, th- I think you, uh, the council noted that there were what, 27 new Cotton Belt members uh, from 12 states going into, into the Congress after this election. Uh, so surprises from the election, what current members are still going to be on these committees? Uh, who's lining up for the leadership positions?
2: Right. Well, as you said, a lot of new faces in Congress next year. Currently, I think we're looking at at least five new senators from the Cotton Belt and over 20 new House members. And as you know, there are still several House races that are undecided. So that number may increase as well. But specifically on the agriculture committees, we know in the Senate that uh, with Chairman Roberts retiring, most likely Senator Bozeman from Arkansas will be the top Republican on the Senate Ag Committee. And if the two special elections in Georgia, or at least one of those remain in Republican hands, then um, Republicans should maintain the majority in the Senate, and we would have a Chairman Bozeman of that committee. And then on the House side, you know, certainly very disappointed to see Congressman Colin Peterson, the chairman of the House Ag Committee from Minnesota, lose his race, which became very competitive. I think we all saw that going in, but we're really hoping that he would win re-election. But now that he has lost, there is a race shaping up to replace him. And currently it looks like it's between Congressman David Scott from Georgia and Jim Costa from California. And then there's also some discussion about Congresswoman Marsha Fudge from Ohio might be interested as well. On the Republican side in the House Ag Committee, as you know, for a while with Mike Conaway announcing his retirement, there's been really a three way race there between Congressman Thompson from Pennsylvania, Austin Scott, also from Georgia, and then Rick Crawford from Arkansas. And so, again, new leadership on both sides of the aisle for the House Ag Committee. And then we did see on that committee, uh, so far, I think at least one other member on the Democratic side has lost their reelection. So there will be a few other new faces on that committee next year.
0: I think the key key from what I was hearing is at least uh, geographically, Uh, the representation for cotton is certainly still going to be strong
2: on those committees. Yes, sir. And I think just, again, going over that list, we just talked about a very good chance that both the chairman of the committee and the ranking member could both potentially be from cotton producing states, which would be a very positive outcome for the industry.
1: Reese, um, there's been any talk about uh, reopening the farm bill. And if, if that were to happen, what would have to happen to make that happen?
2: Well, that has become, I think, a more common topic for discussion this year since the COVID pandemic hit and just has, I think, exposed some of the areas where additional need and support are necessary in agriculture and whether or not that necessitates reopening the farm bill early or trying to continue to address the pandemic through some of these ad hoc programs that we've seen Congress and USDA implement in the last few months. Um, As you all know, it's always a double-edged sword when it comes to reopening a farm bill early. Um, Obviously, there's the opportunity there to try to improve the safety net and provide more targeted and effective support. But there's also the downside of uh, those opponents that we always have the farm policy trying to uh, insert some of their changes that would be negative to our producers. So I think at this point, again not knowing who is going to be leading the ag committee in the house yet it's probably a little early to predict what might happen in the next congress but certainly the fact that this farm bill runs through the 2023 crop year so we know regardless we're going to have to see the ag committee start their work in preparing for the new farm bill in the coming congress whether or not they're going to want to try to complete that task i think a lot of that may come down to how the next election is shaping up, what is going on in the ag economy, are things starting to turn around next year, or are we continuing to look at very depressed commodity prices, and then what's happening with the overall budget and deficit picture in in the U.S
0: okay let me let me slip a quick question in there on, on that uh you mentioned in terms of the the people who generally the, the groups that are generally opposing the farm bill uh that generally have their the same same arguments that we seem to hear all the time are they kind of ramping up their efforts a little bit now that we've gotten through an election and and you know Maybe feel like now's the time to start uh, start their their comments.
2: You know, I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that uh, publicly so far, but I'm sure there is a lot of that going on behind the scenes and trying to make sure they are making their preparations to do that. How quickly they move forward in a public and forceful way, I'm not for sure, but we're always anticipating that's just around the corner. Yep,
1: and uh, I know, you know, we're seeing in the media now a lot of speculation about cabinet seats under a Biden administration. Uh, What are you hearing about any viable candidates for the Secretary of Agriculture position?
2: Sure, Uh, a lot of names being uh, mentioned in the press, and, um, you know, just to talk through a few of those, one that we hear talked a lot about is former Senator Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota, and... uh, she had lost her re-election to the Senate um, two years ago, but she has led an effort during this campaign cycle to really try to motivate rural voters and help bring them to support Democratic candidates. And so I think she has uh, done a lot for her party in the rural area, and so I think that's part of the reason we see her name on the list. Some others that are talked about are... Uh, Michael Skuse, who currently is Secretary of Agriculture in Delaware, but he had served in the Obama USDA as an undersecretary and also as Deputy Secretary for a time. There's also Krista Harden, who had also served as Deputy Secretary during the Obama USDA. And then um, (laughs) members of Congress, um, we mentioned earlier, Marsha Fudge from Ohio. Her name has also been mentioned maybe as a candidate for Secretary of Ag, as well as Sherry Bustos from Illinois, who did just get reelected, but we've seen her name mentioned. And then there's a few others out there too, but I think those are the most common ones so far. But I think it's still probably a little early. Uh, you know, It certainly could be someone that none of us have even heard mentioned at this point.
0: Yeah, but that's that's all part of the political game right now. We get you get you you pass an election, you've you've got past that milestone, and now let's let's let the guessing game begin for the you know for everything else that's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be an interesting couple months here as I guess as we get all this wrapped up and and, and with that, I guess it's time to wrap this discussion up as well. Uh, Reese, thanks for taking time to, to join us today on Cotton Companion. Uh, you have shared some, some good information, and we'll all be watching closely to kind of
2: see how the dust settles as we move toward January. Again, thank you very much for this opportunity. It's always great to talk with you. That's great. Thank you.
1: That wraps up this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. And thanks again to Reese Langley for joining us in our virtual studio today. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about us. Here's how you do it.
3: You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine.
0: The November issue of Cotton Grower is off the press and it should be hitting your mailboxes here very, very soon. And speaking of soon, we'll also be starting our survey regarding your thoughts and prognostications on cotton acreage in your state for 2021. We're gonna be tabulating all those results and share them with you in our January issue. So just let me say in advance, we appreciate your cooperation in this. This podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues back at the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. his name's Frank Giles, And we'll be back with you in a few weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. So for now, we wish you all the best and stay safe. Yeah, it works and it works and it works and it works all day. God made the farm. Yeah, it works and it works and it works and it works and it works all day.
2: God
0: made the farm.
2: Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to Phytogen.com.